The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky connections and kinky education. We're kinky done differently. What women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun discussion about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy, as well as an intimate discussion about how to connect with our own authentic self, with questions asked by a guy. And now, here is your host, John, or as we call him around here, hi there, catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, a show about how people connect with each other and themselves. I'm John, also known as Hi There, Catsuit, and today we go one-on-one -on -one with the amazing personality who made sex the topic on cable, and today brings the topic out of the shadows and into the light. Sunny Megatron is an award-winning sexuality educator and media personality. She is the host and executive producer of the Showtime original television series, Sex with Sunny Megatron, plus co-hosts the American Sex Podcast and the Open Deeply Podcast. Voted XBiz 2021 Sexpert of the Year, Sunny is also a contributing editor of XBiz Premier Magazine and a regular columnist for Sexual Health Magazine. Her work focuses on normalizing alternative sexual practices and ending sexual stigma. Let's find out why sex with Sunny Megatron is so much fun and what women and other wonderful humans want. It's five questions about memorable firsts. We call it the first five. First time you ever realized you were a little bit different. <gasps> the moment I had my first thought, seriously. <laughs> um, and I, I honestly think that, and I think a lot of us have this. I think we all think that everybody else fits in the same bucket and we're the different ones. Um, so I think this is very relatable, but I also feel that because I felt different and I felt like I didn't fit in, it sort of silenced me for a long time. And in a way set me on the path I am now in sex education. Cause now I'm like, no secrets, nobody stop silencing yourself. Stop being ashamed. So in a weird roundabout way, that was a profound question. First impression of your first class taught to you of sex education. Oh my goodness. Oh, it was fifth grade. It was fifth grade sex ed. I was what, 10 in fifth grade. Um, there were two teachers that we, it was four, like you two fifth grade teachers that got the classes together and they were really cool teachers. And I thought we had the best sex ed at the time, but now I'm a sex educator and realize like my math teacher was teaching me sex ed. They may have been progressive for a math teacher teaching me sex ed in 1982, but it wasn't really that progressive. 
first time you ever picked up a sex toy and your reaction to it? <gasps> I remember this. Okay. So it was my best friend's wedding. I mean, it was a pro I have stories before this. They weren't really sex toys, but I used them as sex toys. But a real sex toy was my best friend's wedding. And it was her bachelorette. And one of our friends, we were like 21 or something. And one of her friends bought us all vibrators and they were the stereotypical plastic little, like kind of like your mother's vibrator looking vibrator. And I, I was like, oh, he, 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 I'll never use this. He, oh my goodness. He, he, he. And then I like fuck that thing every other moment I could. So yeah, things have changed. <laughs> First time you turned on Showtime and saw you appearing there and your reaction to it. Oh my goodness. That was um, like, I saw the little like, you know, coming soon card. Like the, the, the picture of me was up on their app and I was so excited. But the first time the actual show aired, we got together with friends at a local bar and did like a free viewing every Thursday night when it came out. And yeah, we all screamed and woo, it was, it was pretty cool. First time you ever received a dick pic and your reaction to it. Oh, I'm trying. There's been so many <laughs> that I don't know if I can remember the first time. Um, I would say the first time that I started getting a lot of dick pics was when I joined Snapchat. There's something about Snapchat that goes together with dick pics. And I was, to, it's like that gif where you see that woman getting pelted in the face with hot dogs. That's how I felt every time I logged into Snapchat. And I realized very quickly and curiously that a lot of the people who sent me dick pics, maybe because I'm a kinkster and they thought it would be okay, wanted me to give them small penis humiliation. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, so that was an interesting revelation, but I could do without all the dick pics. Yeah. Are you liking what you're hearing? Check out the Total Archives wherever you find your podcasts. And please remember to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And while you're there, help John out by giving him a rating and a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Hi, this is Jane Boone, the author of the novel Edge Play. It's a revenge fantasy where the big short meets 50 shades of gray. Only the women wield the whips and the billionaires submit. You can find it at Amazon in paperback or for your Kindle. And be sure to check out my episode with Tara Indiana right here on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Thank you. Hello, I'm Jessie Sage from Peep Show Media. Peep Show Media is a multimedia magazine bringing news and stories from the sex industry. Be sure to check out our website at peepshowmedia.com for essays, porn reviews, events, interviews, news stories, and more. Also, make sure to listen to our podcast, The Peep Show Podcast, anywhere you get podcasts. And for a bit more of a personal glance into my life, make sure to check out my January 15th interview on what women and other wonderful humans want. It is simply the most powerful episode we've ever done. When when I had the death of the ego and I really, well, I walked away from what a, being a kink educator or a dominatrix means to my ego or what being a singer um, or someone who booked 
educators or cover bands for so many years. What does that say about me? That's just things I've done. It's not who I am, you know, and the important thing is that we help others and that we be of service. So if someone's listening to this show and they're feeling maybe badly about a job they have or a direction they've taken, there's no mistakes. The artist formerly known as Hudsey Hahn, Hudsey Brook, June 8th, on what women and other wonderful humans want. Do you want to hear episodes way before their release date? Commercial free and with an exclusive and always interesting five more minutes? Then support the show at patreon.com slash whatwomenwantpodcast. And you can be a part of an actual upcoming show. We sure do thank you for your support. And now back to this episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Sonny Megatron is the host and executive producer of Sex with Sonny Megatron and the American Sex Podcast, as well as other amazing presentations and events. What inspired you to get into this field? Ooh, we kind of covered that in the first question. Honestly, um, you know, actually a few questions in the sex toy question. (laughs) I grew up at a time that uh, women were expected to be, you know, prudes. We were all, you know, and I'm doing finger quotes, sexually (laughs) repressed. We weren't supposed to have desire. So I was left with first all of these questions. And, And a lot of the questions were centered around like, all these puzzle pieces don't fit together. Like this doesn't make sense. How I'm expected to act, how I'm expected to be sexually in some situations, but not others. I also grew up in a time where, um, you know, I thought I was heterosexual and I was dating men when I first started dating. And um, it was very misogynistic, you know? And Mm -hmm. I was like, this is just not jiving with me. And through my own personal journeys of like all of the heartache and learning things the hard way and feeling like, am I the only one? Am I broken? Am I the only one that feels this way? Mm-hmm. When I set out on my own personal sexual you know, journey, discovery, whatever, I realized like, holy shit, this is so simple. Can I swear? I just said, I Absolutely. swear twice already. Okay, good. Um, so I was like, you know, this this is so simple to see things the quote right way. And nobody's talking about it. Everyone's keeping secrets. So I'm like, fuck that. I'm going to stop. I'm going to tell everybody, you know, the secret to my recipe here. And, you know, cause it, it, it changed my life so profoundly to discover kink, to discover what consent even was. And mm-hmm. that I had us, I could have boundaries. What? <laughs> um, and, and it, it's not even so much sex because it's so holistic. Your sexual self is about your whole self, your mental health, you know, how you deal with relationships. It's all interconnected. So once you start unlocking the key to your sexuality by default, all the other doors start unlocking too. And it's just, it's such a profound, I don't know, not even change. I think it's, you know, I'm fulfilled as a human being Mm -hmm. discovering these parts of myself. And I I want everyone else to know about it too. Was there a moment where, air quotes, as you like to say, Mm -hmm. Sonny Megatron was born? Oh, you know, I don't know if there was a moment, 
there was a a period of time definitely was i was mid 30s ish you know 34 35 something like that and i had um uh broken up with my second you know life partner that if i believed in marriage would have been a husband you know baby daddy the whole deal um very abusive relationship and at that point i was just like that's it I'm going to do all the things that I thought nobody else did. You know, I joined, I, I got on Craigslist casual encounters. I had my first threesome. <laughs> I started dating women. I, you know, I, so it was that evolution over, I would say the period of maybe two, three, four years that Sunny Megatron started to be born, but I'm, I'm still giving birth to myself. Like, you know, I mean, it, it I, I'm still learning constantly People like to call me like, you're the sex expert or the sexpert. And okay, those words are great for SEO if you know someone's trying to Google to find me, but do I really like the word expert? Not really. Mm. You know, I, I'm learning just like everybody else. Yeah, I'm on a different, a different place on my path of learning. Um, and I am also, you know, skilled at teaching and translating this information and telling it to other people, but am I done cooking? No, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm constantly going to be cooking. When Sonny Megatron walks into an event and we're going to take COVID out of the picture here, right. we're just going to talk in general terms. When you walk into an event, I would guess that the fans around there are, are kind of like, oh my God, it's Sonny Megatron, the rock star. She must know everything there is about sex. And when she gets home, she must have the absolute most wild, funky, fantastic sex. How much of Sonny Megatron is true and how much is it the character? Uh, what I portray of myself is me. Like mm -hmm. there, there is no, I'm not pretending, I'm not embellishing. However, people's impressions of me are not me. You know, there are people think that I am sex crazed and I'm, I'm going to orgies all the time and I'm doing all this, like, you know, swing by the chandelier stuff. I'm just like everybody else. Um, I actually have a low sex drive. I'm not having sex all the time. Like when I uh, engage in kink, my kink, at least for me, it may not necessarily be for my partner. My kink is oftentimes non-sexual kink. So mm. I think people, when they look at anybody in the sexual education industry, even the greater sex industry, People assume you have a very high libido. You're fucking all the time. You're yes. Okay. I I'm kinky. I'm non-monogamous. However, I, I'm not fucking all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times there's, and we call it on this show, the 80, 20 rule, 80% of the time you're living real life, 20% you're having great sex. If you're lucky enough to be able to do that. And I argue that many times people forget the 80% part of us. Yeah. The one yeah. that enjoys sitting home and watching a good show, mm -hmm. turning on and binging a good show or going for a walk in the park. But that is as important to building a great relationship, if not more important than having great sex. Mm -hmm. 
Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And as I, as I get further into my journey as an educator, I am, you know, more and more recognizing the importance of, you know, as I mentioned before, this is holistic. Sex doesn't just sit in its own little bucket away from everything. It has everything to do with every single part of our personalities, every single, you know, our mental health, everything that makes us tick goes into our sexuality. So yes, of course, that stuff, it has to be important by default. And I think we put so much emphasis on the, you know, traditional sex part of it Mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. You know, I think the fact that sex is so taboo and we don't know how to talk about it. When we do talk about it, we have all these funny feelings and funny ideas. Like when it comes to sex, our logical common sense sometimes just goes out the window. And it's like, you know, and I'm not even gonna, I'm gonna give just a generic example. If someone's like, you know, uh, I have, I need some advice. I have this uh, kink relationship or this sexual relationship and my partner is doing X, Y, Z and I don't know what to do. And it's like, okay, if your partner was doing X, Y, Z in a non-kink relationship, you'd you'd know exactly what to do. Mm -hmm. It is no different. Like when when sex enters the picture, people just get like, boy, I don't know what to do. Oh, scary. We have all these, I I don't know, these blocks and this anxiety just because it's sex. And it's Mm -hmm. really not that, it's angels singing like, oh, it's (laughs) sex and it's special. It's, It's just like any other part of life. I took my kids when they were 11 and nine years old. Mm-hmm. The son was nine. The daughter was 11 to see bridesmaids. Okay. And the first scene in bridesmaids, people doing it. And just about every inappropriate thing you can imagine was in that movie. At the end of the movie, I said, any questions? And for some reason, I ended up with two of the most respectful kids anywhere because I didn't hide sex from them. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, I I didn't go, hey, come on and kiss. No, that, that I'm not doing that. But I always said to them, if you have any questions, ask me now or ask me anytime you want to. Mm-hmm. Is it the fact that we're hiding sex so much is the reason why a lot of people get so hurt by sex? I think so. We're hiding it. And then when we don't hide it, we misunderstand it. Um, We put, I'm not going to say too much or the wrong emphasis on it, but I guess that's situational, but some of us do. Um, You know, I found with, I have two kids, they're almost 26 and almost 20 now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you said, of course I wasn't like kids, sex, 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 never. I would keep things age appropriate and I would let them initiate. Like if they have a question, Mm -hmm. um, I would answer. But one of the things as a parent that I always tried to reiterate is sex is not like they portray it in the media. It's not like they, you know, it's not what you think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is everything, you know, that, that is absolutely everything. When you take a look at where you started and see where we are now, 
mm-hmm. because there has been a continuing sexual revolution because I bet you could not imagine back when you first started your journey that we'd be hearing words like non-binary, gender fluid. I don't think poly was maybe a word that we would use often. Mm -hmm. How did we get here so fast? Or has it always been coming? It's interesting because like even way back when, when I started as a sex educator and somebody asked me in some interview, like, what do you think the future of, you know, sex positivity or sex ed or whatever is. And I, my, my prediction, I'm, I'm patting myself on the back because I think I did pretty good (laughs) is that we are going to more and more embrace fluidity that we're going to get rid of binaries and not just in the binary, you know, like non-binary gender or sexuality Mm -hmm. in everything. We're going to realize that as human beings, everything we do is, is on a spectrum and we're always changing. I may feel this way about my sexual identity at one point in time, you know, Tuesday at seven o'clock on March 25th or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I could change by April 12th it can be different. It could be different three hours from then. And I think that just that notion, we have learned to embrace more about everything. And, and when I say everything, and when I talk about, you know, the, the holistic bigger picture about our sexuality, sexual freedom is a human rights issue you know, when you boil it down and it's now we have so much more focus on other human rights issues, you know, from, uh, you know, racism to, uh, gender issues. I mean, you know, I could go for the rest of the podcast telling you about different things and they all tie in together. And I think people are starting to realize like, wow, you know, coming more from a social justice lens, can you really be a a sexual free person and really embrace your sexual freedom if you are also repressed in these other ways? And how does that oppression in other areas of your life affect your sexuality and Mm -hmm. vice versa? I think we're all not only starting to embrace this fluidity, we're all starting to see more and more how all of these things that on the surface seem completely unrelated Mm -hmm. are actually very much related. Let's talk about one focused subject in that, and that is the world of kink. It took me a long time, including being married for 20 years and being kink shamed through the entire thing, even though I had a fetish when I was a kid, to allow myself to say, yes, I'm a kinky person. I'm proud of it. I'm happy to present myself as such. Because even in the world of sex, kink is still considered by some to be like, I don't know if I want to go that far. Mm -hmm. What do you think the hangup is? I think people very much misunderstand what kink is. They think if somebody is kinky, they're, you know, to put it short, fucked up. 
mm-hmm. whether they have mental problems, they're on drugs, they, they're, there's something wrong with them that they are into feet or, you know, that weird thing or whatever it is. They like pain, weird, 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 weird. And, you know, I love my, my favorite students. And I would say my largest student demographic is the new curious kinkster. Hmm. You know, the, the people who are like, where I was, you know, I teach old me. That's my student. I teach from that perspective. Mm -hmm. When I was starting on my journey, what did I want to be told? Mm -hmm. You know, so the new curious kinkster who maybe they've never done kink, but when they see it in movies or they read the certain erotica, there's something in them that it lights a spark, but they still are like, but this shit's weird. Why do I like it? And when I break it down for them that this, first of all, all of our kink is just play. Mm-hmm. We are playing. We are we are tapping into parts of ourselves that are scary. And in order to be, you know, kinky, I guess healthily kinky, mm-hmm. um, you have to have a certain level of emotional literacy. And you have to be able to get over the shame that you feel when you realize there are parts of yourself that you're uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. And most of us stop there when they're like, you know, oh, I like feet. That's weird. They just like repress it and go weird part of myself. I'm going to push it away. And it's, it always still keeps creeping up, mm-hmm. you know, but when we, when we sit back and really break it down and embrace that part of ourselves and be like, that's not weird. Let's figure out like, why do I like this? And some people don't even care. Some people are real, like, I need to know why. And some people are like, don't make me figure out why. Cause that ruins <laughs> it. It makes it not sexy. Like there's no wrong or right answer there, you know? Um, but to be able to embrace it and play with it and maybe not even understand why you do that particular thing, but mm-hmm. why we do kink to play around with those dark parts of ourselves, with those hurt parts of ourselves, with those fun, joyous parts of ourselves that never get to come out and play. I mean, there, there's so many reasons. A lot of people use it therapeutically. I would say kink is not therapy. However, for some people, kink can be very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some people, it's just damn fun. And they're like, I don't want to think about why it's therapeutic. <laughs> I just want to do it. It's fun. I like it. Gives me a hard on, you know, um, you know, when it gets broken down to, to we're examining, uh, pieces of ourselves that don't get to come out and play. And we're just having fun. It's like, oh, that kind of deflates this, like, oh, what is it? Like, oh, that's it. It's completely demystified. It's the same reason why when we were little kids, we played on the playground and, you know, played like role play. Uh, you know, I, me and my, my, like a lot of kids, they say, what will you play? Like, cops and robbers and things like that on the playground. Me and my friends played psychic detective. I don't know why. And like, for, it was like 1981, you know, there weren't even shows about psychic detectives, but that was our game. We played psychic detective, but it was fun. And we lost ourselves in our characters. Same reason why people play Dungeons and Dragons. Like mm-hmm. I'm also a and d geek we're tapping in that same part of ourselves. We're just oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes involving our genitals and more erotic things. That's it. You talked about the fact that your kink is sometimes very Mm non-sexual. For those on the outside world who don't understand what kink can be, 
a lot of them would go, wait a minute, what do you mean non-sexual? It's got to be sexual. It's about getting yourself off, isn't it? What is the biggest misperception when it comes to kink? Ooh, yeah, that it is about sex. Um, and, you know, there, I feel like I'm kind of teaching my kink 101 class or getting into kink theory, <laughs> but it actually is really interesting because we have these assumptions as a society, as people who function in a society who think we know about sex, when we say the word sex, we think we know what we mean. When we say the word turned on, we think we know what we mean. But when we step back and we go turned on, okay, to me, turned on is sometimes it's a tingle in my genitals, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's a tingle in my brain. I get off on maybe the power trip that's going on or just the particular give and take mentally that I'm having with that person is such a turn on and I'm finger quoting because I know mm -hmm. people can't see me, but <laughs> it, it's not a turn on like it doesn't make my genitals wet. Mm -hmm. it, it makes my brain wet. And it's a different type of turned on like I'm not going to have an orgasm but it is just as gratifying, just in a different way. So if that becomes our definition of turned on, that opens up a whole new world. And I can also see, Sonny, where it can be conceived as turned off in a wonderful way, where when you are in the right kind of kink play, if it involves bondage or sensation, that there are some times when the world is so crazy, and you talked about the fact kink is not therapy, but kink can be therapeutic. Mm -hmm. When the world is crazy around you, and suddenly it settles down to this one moment, this mm -hmm. one thing. I think that's what the therapy talk is all about there. Yeah, that that could definitely that is one therapeutic aspect of kink and there's a lot more. But you know, that is that's one way kink can be therapeutic. It does. It helps you detach from all of these things that are stressing you, that are weighing you down, like, you know, all the adulting things, mm -hmm. um, you know, and there's lots of theories as to why, like, if you look at the field of therapy, um, there's been in the last few years, an emphasis on somatic therapy. And I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not a therapist. I'm just like a therapy geek. Okay. Um, but there's been a lot of emphasis on, on somatic therapy, which is tracking what's happening in the body and with your nervous system and how that's affecting your emotional state. And if, you know, you know a little bit about somatic therapy and you know a little bit about kink, you can start to see how manipulating the body in certain ways in, in kink scenarios can also help manipulate the mind. And like you said, by calming and kind of shutting off all that outside you know, static and stress is one way that can happen. Absolutely. What is your favorite thing to teach when it comes to kink? Ooh, the, I, I, okay. So I divide kink into two buckets. Okay. Um, and this comes from my, my previous career in advertising. So anybody who's in advertising will relate to this scenario. Um, I divide kink into execution and strategy. So execution is 
I am learning to throw a flog or spank a butt. It's the, the technical know-how. And the strategy is, you know, what's, what's going on up here mentally. So that could be, you know, your approach and your, you know, emotional dealings with partners. How do you negotiate? How do you establish consent? A lot of BDSM theory, you know, what does this mean type of stuff? And I also throw in that bucket, all of the, um, the psychological kink. I consider myself a psychological kinkster. I would much rather, you know, scramble your brain than like bruise your butt you know, Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's just, that's my realm. So in that is like humiliation, play mind fucks, all of those things. All. So the mental stuff is what I love to teach people. And it it really does, you know, once you start unlocking, like I just taught a class for instance, on erotic humiliation. And once you start on really uncovering, like, why do people like humiliation? What are the different types of humiliation? Um, and, and really get into the psychology of it. It's like, holy shit, we can take the psychology of erotic humiliation that we just learned and overlay it on our vanilla adult life. And it's the same emotional tools. Mm. And, you know, I, I often say too, a lot of the, the, the skills that we develop in kink, especially the emotional skills, I'm talking the strategic skills, we can use those in our vanilla world. So a lot of people, when they do role play, let's say, um, uh, like, I'm going to take me, me as an example. I started out submissive. Many years I was a submissive. And I was like, this just doesn't feel, I feel like I, I want to be a dominant. But I didn't know how. It was intimidating. It was scary. In my vanilla life, I'm always the one, you know, uh, like if, I'm at a restaurant and they bring me the wrong meal. Instead of being like, excuse me, I ordered the blah, blah, blah. I'll just be like, it's fine. And then I complain to the person next to me, they gave me the wrong thing. <laughs> like, I just, I don't stand up for myself. I don't have that, um, uh, what's the word? The, uh, uh, it begins with an A, my brain is going, but you know what I mean? Okay. Um, so I, when I started developing my dominant side in kink, I took those skills of being aggressive and speaking my mind and taking charge. I got to play with those skills that I never get to play with in the real world. I got to play with them in a safe container and be like, what does it feel like to be like, no, this is not good enough. I deserve better. And once I got comfortable with those skills, it became easier for me to be like, no, excuse me. I ordered the steak. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So it's amazing how these skills, these emotional skills translate to different places of your life. In being a submissive person, was that back in your days when you were doing your advertising where you had to make all the decisions? No, no. I was, I was submissive after average. Like I got into kink and everything after, um, after I was done with my advertising, I got mm-hmm. laid off in the, the recession of 2008. It was mm-hmm. the best thing that ever happened to me anyway. <laughs> um, and that, that is, uh, a common belief. And, and in some respects, it can be true that like people who make a lot of decisions or have a high power job 
in their daylight, daytime life want to be submissive in the bedroom so they can have that escape and not have to be the ones making the decisions. That can absolutely be true, but I think a lot of people hear that and they think it's an across the board rule. Um, and no, not necessarily. You know, it's just, it's very individual. Does that tend to happen sometimes? Yeah, but definitely not always. We're being. Hi, my name is Leanne and I am the owner of Polyphilia, where you can get your daily fix of memes dedicated to polyamory, ethical non-monogamy, and personal growth in open relationships. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Polyphilia Blog, spelt P-O-L-Y-P-H-I-L-I-A-B-L-O-G. I hope to see you there, and please also check out my episode on what women and other wonderful humans want. Hi, I'm Dr. Allison Ash, trauma-informed sex and intimacy coach and educator and the founder of TurnOn.Love. And I teach a wide range of workshops and courses on topics including flirting and seduction, deepening emotional intimacy, expanding pleasure, exploring fantasies, repairing ruptures in relationships, navigating non-monogamy, and more. And I work with individuals and couples in a coaching dynamic to support them in getting out of their heads and into their bodies and navigating challenges like erectile dysfunction and anorgasmia to help men figure out how to express their desires in ways that feel authentic and not let opportunities pass by any longer, to help women explore what they want and really advocate for it in their relationships, and to support couples in getting the spark back and in exploring non-monogamy if you want to open up your relationship. To explore all this and more, you can check out my website at www.turnon.love. And don't forget to listen to my episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. It's in the archives wherever you listen to your podcast. Are you liking what you're hearing? Check out the total archives wherever you find your podcasts. And please remember to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And while you're there, help John out by giving him a rating and review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's get back to what women and other wonderful humans want. Being wowed by the knowledge of one Sunny Megatron on this edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. And you do television shows, you do mm -hmm. podcasts, and you also walk onto university campuses and discuss sex with kids that could possibly having be having the most raging hormones you can possibly imagine. Yes. When you do your university lectures, has there been a time when you walked in and people were expecting one thing and got something totally different out of it? I think every time. I mean, it's, it's different. You know, definitely every time is different. But I think I could say that with whether it's university lecture people or, you know, couples that have been married for 20 years, they come into my class expecting one thing. And they, I, I love to see the light bulbs go off and the minds get blown. Like, oh, this is what this stuff is all about. It's totally different than what I expect. Um, one uh, university uh, sex week that we did was the University of Tennessee. And I did not realize this before we got there, but, and I should have known this. I just didn't put two and two together. Like it didn't click that in Tennessee, it's an like abstinence only no sex ed state. 
So we were the first sex ed that, that these college kids had ever had. And so I'm up there teaching kink 101. And, and then I find out, oh, and I don't even think the organizers told me, I think it was like the, the, the kids, when we were asking questions and talking, they were like, oh yeah, no, we don't have sex ed here in Tennessee. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) Mm. I'm your first one. Either this is horrifying or great. I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's, it, it makes me sad that, you know, even kids that grow up in states where there is sex ed, the sex ed isn't great. Nine times out of 10, every once in a while, there's a decent program, but it's a finding a needle in a haystack. Um, and there's, there's so many kids that just don't have parents that talk to them about sex. They don't have Mm -hmm. anyone that they can actually get unbiased age appropriate information from. And like, I'm just going to give a shout out. I do not get paid for this, but I think they're wonderful. Anyone who's listening, who has a teen scarleteen.com is a great unbiased resource for teens for sex ed. It's like 13 and and up it through college age kids. Um, and it's a great website, but there aren't many like that out there, which is really sad. I have told on this show, and I may have told you this story at one time, that the reason that my fetish developed, the reason that I became high there catsuit was because the first times I had orgasms, I didn't know what they were. Mm. But I do know that I was looking at a woman wearing either skin tight clothing or cat suits. Yep. Like Catwoman or Emma Peel or uh, later on Pat Benatar. And I could only imagine somebody in Tennessee waking uh, be, being there and suddenly having uh, a male having an orgasm going, what the, what? Mm-hmm. Is something wrong with me? Am I sick? What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. And women too. I mean, I can't imagine. Oh, let me take it back. I can't imagine because it went, it happened to me. But in this day and age, when we are bombarded by media after media, I can't imagine why the conversation isn't larger. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you can, I'm sure go back through history and look at our, you know, puritanical uh, background and history here in the United States and come up with some, some reasons, but bottom line, reason or not, it's ridiculous. It's Mm -hmm. ridiculous that in, in some respects, we sexualize everything. And then in other respects, it's like, oh, you can't talk about it. It's it's so confusing, not only for kids to grow up in that environment, whether they have sex ed in school or not, mm-hmm. but even for adults, like we don't get it. We're getting these mixed messages and we're getting these mixed messages because our, our society has a dysfunctional view of sex. And so we go on to internalize that and then have an individual dysfunctional view of sex. And it's so liberating to, you know, and this happened to me when I discovered kink and my students when, as they're new kinksters and they're starting to unlock what everything means to understand, you know, why do we eroticize the things we do just for someone to be able to tell you, you know, I've had that experience too, or here's some of the research as to why they think people blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is hear that and go, oh, 
I'm not broken. I'm not the only one. I'm not weird. And then once those thoughts are gone, you then have room to enjoy whatever Mm -hmm. that is. Um, And, you know, one thing that I think really troubles people, and I think I know really troubles people is why do people eroticize some of like the darker and more disturbing things that, that they do. And a lot of times that's just a hang up right there. Like Mm -hmm. that's weird. I, I, I don't want to know that part of myself. I don't know what's wrong with me. And it's like lots of reasons, but just to know that the way our erotic minds work, and there's a great book called The Erotic Mind by Jack Marin. I highly suggest people read it, but it's like, there's this paradox that things that cause us, you know, stress and anxiety and anger and all these negative emotions in some contexts are boner killers. They are not sexy. They are not, but in other contexts, when we least expect it, those are become erotic things. They turn us on. It's like, why is this weird negative emotion suddenly turning me on when 99.9% of the time, those emotions are like, (laughs) Um, and then also, you know, just knowing the fact that when we get a little turned on our tolerance for things becomes much greater. So our, like we've all been to the place I call strange boner town. Okay. So this is when maybe you're on the internet late at night, you fall into what I call a pornado. You go from like one porn to another porn to another, (laughs) and they just get weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder. And somehow you took a bunch of weird, wrong left turns and you ended up in strange boner town and whatever weird stuff you were watching really got you off. Like you haven't gotten off in a long ass time. And then the next morning you look at your search history and you're like, Oh my God, how, how did that, what was I thinking? But God, it was hot, but it was so wrong. (laughs) Um, And to just know, like the more we get turned on our tolerance for things that are like disgust, disgust suddenly becomes a turn on like really dirty, gross things, like literally dirty, like filth, Mm -hmm. uh, start turning us on pain starts turning us on. And just to know that that is a normal human function. There is nothing wrong with you that you ended up in strange boner town at 3am on the internet. Um, just knowing that can, can mean the world. I'm seeing a postcard right now. Greetings from strange boner town. (laughs) (laughs) Wish you were here. Exactly. Exactly. Wearing a pig mask and oiled up with butter. I don't. (laughs) I have been known for making very strange analogies and I'm going to make this one now. Okay. I am wondering if sexuality is the soccer of today. Here is the analogy. Okay. Back when I was growing up, soccer was not the cool thing. But as the years have gone on, suddenly soccer has gone from, well, that's what, that's what the kids who can't play football play to being a sport that is enjoyed by millions around the world and millions here in the United States, finally. Yeah. Sexuality is something that, especially now we have we mentioned non-binary, gender fluid, polyamory, kink. Mm-hmm. 
that people are starting to understand and it's starting to be part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So by the time these kids are in their 50s, are we going to finally break the taboo? And as you always talk about, end the stigma? I don't know. I don't, I mean, it is such a big web to unravel. I'm like, you know, we're human beings and human beings aren't the, you know, always the sharpest knives in the drawer. So I think some of us will get it, but will we get it so much on a collective level that we tip the scales? That remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. However, you know, I kind of see it as when, I don't know, when sexuality first became popular, which that sounds funny, but like, (laughs) um, I think back to Madonna. Okay. I'm an eighties kid. Mm -hmm. I think I'm Gen X. Think back to Madonna when she came out there with her, you know, like a virgin and the pointy bra and everybody was up in arms. Like, oh my God, oh, this is horrible. And now that's like, oh, grandma in her little conservative bullet bra. Like it's nothing. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, um, you know, we can look back at, at either that time or similar times in popular media where sexuality was sensationalized. Mm -hmm. And in one respect, we can say, maybe that's a negative message. Like we're just sensationalizing sex without really understanding what's behind it. Just like a lot of, you know, unhealthy people who are like, oh, must be prudish, must be prudish. And then sensationalize and sexualize everything. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, it's like that also led people on their own journeys of self-discovery. And I think it's not that like sexuality is the new soccer. I think that self-awareness is the new soccer. And I Mm -hmm. think that sexuality being sensationalized by key people like Madonna, because you could say Madonna was sexualizing just like men have been sexualizing in the media, but she had a message there. Like she empowered people, even though, yes, she was sensationalizing just like everybody else. There was this empowerment message there. Mm -hmm. So I think those pieces of like sexual soccer are leading us to the real soccer, which is self-awareness. Cause that, that was a weird roundabout analogy with a lot mm-hmm. of soccer, but do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> Express yourself to me did more as far as a video is concerned about turning the page on different ways to express yourself in sexuality than even like a virgin did. Mm-hmm. Because that yeah. video was so far out there. It had bondage in it. It had, yeah. it had BDSM but it also had the male sexualized by the female yeah, and objectified yeah, to where suddenly it was flipped. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's sort of like when we look at sexuality being sensationalized in the media, it's kind of like junk food. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I think Madonna like infused this junk food with some good hearty, nurturing vitamins that we freaking needed. Um, but it was like packaged in a junk food package, but really she was changing the culture. We may not have seen it at the time. Like at the time, it just was like, this lady's flapping her tits all over the TV. Oh my God, clutch your pearls. <laughs> um, but now that we look back on the cultural impact that she had, it was like, oh, 
why didn't we see that mm -hmm. you know so yeah yeah it's an that interesting evolution it really that, is that was also the time where hbo opened our eyes to real sex yeah yeah and that was the time when hbo would have movies about fetish and cinemax would have movies about fetishes like ooh, now i see this right you come along on showtime and you bring your own joyous view of sex it's hard to find that kind of programming now mm -hmm. why has it gone away when all oh. of a sudden the conversation has become more apparent uh because oh, there's a lot of reasons um at the end of the day who owns the studios and the stations largely the old white dudes that stick with the status quo you know mm -hmm. um like our show we were only one season it was not because of the ratings they're like the ratings were excellent however there was budget reasons first of all we did not get any budget for advertising. We did not get a PR firm promoting. We got oh, wow. nothing, nothing because we were dirty. Even though I will give props to Showtime and, and David Nevins and our account execs there were very on board with the message of the show. Like I had a, a, a meeting with David Nevins, who's the head of, of Showtime. And uh, I was very impressed you know, cause I was like, oh no, older white dude in a suit. I'm going to go talk to, he's not going to know it. And he, you know, talked about sex positivity and the importance of changing the culture and getting, and I was like, wow, mm. that's great. But that's one wheel in a very big, you know, one cog in a very big wheel where people are doing things to status quo. So late night sh uh, programming across the board, I'm not just talking about on, on my network, but across the board, those shows don't get the funding. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, long story short, we had some creative budgeting and funding for our show. And that's how we were able to get it on the air because it was like, we don't have a budget for it. Otherwise our creative funding fell through. Like one of the production companies we were working with went bankrupt. That mm. was absorbing a lot of the cost of the budget. So we, we, we had season two, like we had shows planned. We were in the planning phase of season two and then our funding fell through. And it was like, nobody's got the money to support this kind of programming because it's dirty. If Sonny so, Megatron could make the ultimate show now, mm -hmm. doing you're the queen of the world, you can make all the decisions you want. <laughs> what would be your elevator pitch? Oh, God. <sighs> I think kind of sort of what I'm doing now that, you know, unlocking sexuality to not sensationalize it, which we still kind of had to do on Sex with Sunny Megatron because, you know, we're still working within the machine mm -hmm. uh, to really talk about the emotions behind it. I think people are ready for vulnerability. People are ready for authenticity. People are ready to learn about how their brains work, not just like tits flapping on the screen. Not that there's anything wrong with tits. We all like tits, but <laughs> you know, um, I think people are ready for that. And it was really, it was even a hard sell with the TV show because we fought, like I was an executive producer. And so I had a lot of weight and it was it, me and, and two other producers kind of formed a block 
where we were like, we are the sex positive block. And sure, we had to pick and choose our battles. There were some things we had to let go, but it was like, you are not going to have all skinny white women on here. You are, you know, not going to show things that are sexual without a reason to show that we're not just showing sex for the sake of showing sex. We're yes, we have to show sex because it has to be titillating because it's TV, you know, however, we are going to do it in a manner where it is still fits into the educational big picture. Um, but if I, if I had my own, I would be like, screw all that. Screw it. We're, we're, you know, this is going to be like one of my classes. I don't know. I don't think any network would buy it. <laughs> that's what I do which leads me to the question <laughs> if you were walking into the boardroom and they were women sitting in the boardroom instead of men would we be having the conversation more openly see yes and no yes <laughs> and this ha this happened you know we had a lot of women that worked on the show the majority of the crew of the production team were women. However, we're still operating in that patriarchal framework where the people at the top, top are still men. So while we may have wanted to do certain things, one of two things would happen. Either we would know, fuck, we can't do that because we know they're up there, the people up there are never going to prove it, the dudes up there. Or oftentimes, there are women that have been in this business for so long and they know how the chips fall and they just start thinking like, you know, the old status quo system without even thinking outside the box, without even thinking it's a possibility like, hey, maybe we can push the envelope. So it would be, you know, working with some of those women was kind of like working with the dudes that mm -hmm. just don't get it. Um, and, you know, I'm in no way trying to, you know, slam any one group of people or any one gender. There's all different types of people and scenarios. But yeah, if I boil it down to some generalities and some stereotypes, that's some of what, you know, we came across. Sunny Megatron in the summer of 21 and moving on to the point where we start being able to gather again. What are you most looking forward to? Oh, God. Other than I, getting a hug when you want one. Yes. I'm a little torn because while I miss conferences, I love conferences and in-person events, especially like kink conferences, because there's a lot of people who, yes, they've been into kink for 20 years and they're part of the community and they go to the conference every year kind of thing. But there's always that group of new people at a conference that are freaking terrified. And they're like, why did I thought what's going to happen this weekend? I don't know. Da, da, da. Um, and I, like, I do it for those people. I mean, I do mm -hmm. it for everybody, but I have a special place in my heart for those people. Cause I was those people, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and I understand that when you're having a, a first impression of anything, who you first contact and how that new thing is presented to you carries with you through, you know, your whole experience for years and years and years. So I like to be that for people. Um, so I miss in-person events. I want to do in-person events. However, uh, the introvert in me, I'm one of those introverted extroverts or extroverted introverts or whatever. <laughs> I'm really an introvert, even though it doesn't seem like it, um, really likes being able to do things sitting right here from my computer. Mm. I have given classes and attended classes 
with people all over the world. People that, uh, you know, for whatever reason, they have financial barriers, they, you know, maybe they have disability, and it's hard for them to get out. Maybe they have kids and it's hard for them to go to conference, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, the people, it is, it is a very privileged existence to be able to go to these conferences and to these events. And I think a lot of people that go to these events don't realize like you are in like, you know, the one percenters of privileged kinksters that can go to this shit. And to suddenly this year live in a world that was open and equally accessible to almost everyone Mm -hmm. was really nice. So I think I'm going to be bringing that part of quarantine with me for the foreseeable future and do more things online. Because yes, it's great to be in person, but mm, we don't always have to be. Also, I'm working on a book. That's what I've been doing. When is it going to be out? I don't know. I'm not putting pressure on myself. Just doing it when I do it. Uh, Don't work well under pressure. Hopefully, I'm thinking early next year, maybe. Um, so, and it's, it's basically, you know, kind of fundamentals of kink, kink 101 from a strategic perspective. Cause that's, that's my jam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm really looking forward to that too. Anything else you'd like to plug? Because after all, we are in the plugging business from time to time. Totally. Totally. Um, I have, let's see, I would say, follow me on social media, first of all. So I'm, I'm sunny Megatron at tag S U N N Y Megatron everywhere, Instagram. I'm really active on TikTok, Twitter, et cetera. So follow me on social media because I am continually teaching different classes and doing different events, most of which right now are online. So you're going to hear about that on social media or at sunnymegatron.com. I have like a little calendar function and you can find me there. So yeah. It has been an absolute blast having you on the show. And I have admired you from afar and it's so amazing to be able to just have a a wonderful intimate conversation with the one and only sunny megatron yeah this has been great i really really enjoyed this and you know the more like we joke and we say you know the more we can spread the good word of fuck and i mean i guess for some people it's fuck and some people it's you know non-sexual but whatever the good the good word of eroticism the good word of kink the good word of being more self-aware the good word of embracing your genitals, whatever. The more I can spread the good word, the better. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Is there any doubt why Sunny has such a fantastic following? We first met her online about a year ago, and I have always enjoyed her joyous look into what makes us feel good. Next Tuesday on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky, we meet Rachel LaForest and Leah Knauer two amazing improvisers who have blazed their trail into sorcery and are now known as the Basic Witches. And co-hosting the show with me will be my own queen, Lady Catalyst. Also coming up next week is the Lifestyle Matchmaker, the Shamanatrix. And in May, we've got author Key Barrett, educator Phoenix Mandel, the Kinky Coach, and the wonderful Rain DeGray. That will bring the curtain down on this episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. I'm John, also known as Hi There, Catsuit. As always, thanking you for being with us and reminding you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. 
To support the show, visit patreon.com slash whatwomenwantpodcast. Leave us a message at 513-788-2527. And we invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at whatwomenwantp1 on Twitter, whatwomenwantpodcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at www.podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. We're kinky done differently.